here we are. It is episode 514 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I never get tired of saying that. This is Monster Kid Radio. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the song Hemoglobin the Magnificent. It is from the band The Hamiltones. They are a surf band based out of Buffalo, New York. It is from their new album, Dracula Invitational 1791. You can find them over at thehamiltones.bandcamp.com. You can also find them on Instagram and at their record label. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to all of that if you want to follow up with them and pick up their entire album. And I, I think you're going to want to once you hear the rest of it. But for now, this is Hemoglobin, The Magnificent, and you'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the show. This week, we've got, well... But we always have. We have a conversation with a friend of the show about a monster movie. But we're going a little outside the box this time around. I know that when we first started the show, we had this kind of artificial cutoff date of 1968. That rhymed. Of 1968 as kind of like the, the end of the period of movies that we would talk about here on the show. But every once in a while, something kind of slips through. And you know what? I want to talk about movies from the 70s sometimes. And when Rigor, who I also know as Roger, contacted me and said he wanted to talk about a 1970s monster movie starring William Shatner, I was all in. So this week we are talking about Kingdom of the Spiders. This is the first time that Rigor has been on the show. I've been on his show before. He's going to tell us about his podcasts. It's just a fun time. It's a great conversation with a lot of laughs, and I mean a lot. And I edited a lot of them out because you don't need to just sit here and listen to a couple of podcasters giggling the entire time. So you've got that coming up to look forward to. But before all of that, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. He's looking at Ultra Q, and it's the end of the run of Ultra Q, not the series, not the Beta Capsule review, but it's the final episode of Ultra Q that he's covering this time around, and kind of like the unique release history of it when it was produced versus when it was originally aired, it's interesting to kind of look back and see what was going on in Japanese television and specifically with Subaraya production. So he's going to talk a little bit about that when he talks about this last episode of Ultra Q, and from what I understand, he's not going anywhere, so, I mean... Listen to this one, and then you know, I'll be back next You know what I mean. Anyway, Kenny is also here with his look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and it's a really interesting one. Man. Both Kenny and Mark are pulling out all the stops this time around. There's kind of some drama that happened in Famous Monsters, and Kenny's going to tell you a little bit about that when he talks about, well, Famous Monsters of Filmland. We also have a little bit of feedback, which I'll go over here in a second. First, though, I want to tell you about what's coming up this weekend because some of you guys and gals seem to think it's a big deal, and I'm not going to argue with you because I'm pleasantly surprised myself. You guys and gals know that I host the movie stream on Saturday. We called it the Social Distance Saturday to begin with because we wanted to create something to kind of take the place of going to the monster movies when the pandemic hit and everything was going on and theater started shutting down and I think we even started with like a stop motion Saturday kind of thing because King Kong was being shown in some places and people weren't able to go because of the pandemic and I wanted to provide an alternative that turned into social distance Saturdays and then as that continued that turned into the Monster Kid Movie Club and we're still doing it a year later that means 52 weeks in a row we have had monster movies for you to watch for free 
on Twitch at the Monster Kid Radio Twitch channel or stream over at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio or monsterkidmovie.club. And this Saturday is no different. We are showing a monster mash up of monster movies this time around. I was trying real hard to say that in a way that wouldn't get that song stuck in your head. But anyway, we are doing a monster mixer this Saturday. Now, come on by at 11 a.m. Pacific time because we got an incredible pre-show programmed by friend of the show, Scott Morris. And then at noon, the movies themselves kick in. This weekend, we are watching Bluebeard, The Evil Mind, Bring Me the Vampire, The Telltale Heart, The Devil's Partner, and The Severed Arm. Like I said, it starts at 11 a.m. for the pre-show, noon for the movies, and it's going to go till probably around 9 o'clock at night pacific time again now i will be cutting in every once in a while to come in and say hey and interact with everybody live there is a live chat that happens that some great conversations happen in plus in the middle of the day during the intermission we play around to the classic five with everybody and that's always been a lot of fun at least for me and i think you guys and gals think it too so please come on by this saturday at 11 a.m pacific you can drop in anytime. You don't have to show up right at the beginning. You show up whenever. Watch a movie or two. Head over to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio right now because there is a promo video, like a little 12-second video, that'll give you the times and tell you what movie's playing when. So if you want to plan your day accordingly, you can do so. And because this is a year of Monster Kid Movie Club, of the streaming, of the Twitch channel, we're celebrating a little bit. I've had Steve Sullivan, for example, send in a video clip talking about the Monster Kid Movie Club, one year of the streams. I've had some other people reach out to me about maybe doing some other videos for me as well. And I've had people send me pictures of them dressed up as monsters, whether it's a recent photo or something from when they were kids. And here's what I'm going to do with those pictures of people dressed up as monsters. I'm going to include that in a slideshow or throughout the day at the Monster Kid Movie Club, more than likely through the intermission in the middle of the day. And I would love to include your photo. If you've got a picture of you dressed up as a monster, as a classic monster or a not-so-classic monster, and you'd like to share that with the rest of us here at the Monster Kid Movie Club, email it to me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Same thing about a video. And I know sometimes it's hard to send videos, so you can use Dropbox, Google Drive, upload it as an unlisted video to YouTube and send me the link and I can download it from there. You know, and if I need to do a little bit of editing on the video or the photo to make it work, not a problem. No pressure. I can make everything look and sound great. At least I'd like to think so. So if you want to participate and get your image in the slideshow to celebrate one year of the Monster Kid Movie Club, that would be amazing. Now, we also do the Tuesday stream, so on Tuesday we're doing more movies, and I've got a trailer video up for that as well over at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio, so feel free to go check that out as well. You'll also see a video over there celebrating the Rondo Awards, and I know I said last week that this week I was going to have a more in-depth segment about the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Time got a hold of me. I ran out of time. Life just kind of happened so yeah just been spending a lot of time dealing with that as well as my own personal medical physical stuff and yeah anyway 
you're here for the monster movies and I'd hate to introduce somebody who just recently discovered the show to Monster Kid Radio by complaining about my life. So let's hear from them. We got some feedback from a brand new listener. Monsters in the Machine, you know what to do. I just discovered this podcast and love it. I've got a lot of catching up to do. I'm a true monster kid. I still have my famous Monsters of Filmland magazine starting with number 16. I have most of the records sold through Captain Company in that mag and have my Aurora Monster models, although some are reissues. The Universal films of the 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s are my favorites. Great to hear from other fans of these classics. Thank you. George M. This email came in earlier this week and the subject heading was Great Podcast. George, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate you saying you like the show. I'd be real curious to hear how you discovered the show. Uh, you know, where you stumbled across it. Was it recommended to you by a friend? Did some algorithm somewhere decide to uh, tell you about the podcast? I'm just real curious as to how you found Monster Kid Radio because I want to try to get more listeners and, you know, just because, you know, I'm just kind of curious. The records that you mentioned, the Captain Company records, I've heard about those. I've heard them. I've never owned them myself, but I've heard audio recordings of those. And the Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, I bet you're loving Kenny's segment then about Famous Monsters of Filmland. I know I am. Uh, in fact, he's not doing one this weekend because he needed a break, and that's totally fine by me. But Kenny has been going through and doing video looks at Famous Monsters of Filmland for the Monster Kid Movie Club streams on Saturdays as well. So you might find something over there to enjoy. And that's typically right after the intermission. But like I said, this weekend, he needs a week off. So he's not doing it this week. Uh, but anyway, in the future, you can look forward to that. The Universal Films of the 20s through the 50s, uh, you know, and I've talked about this a little bit with my own personal history of these monster movies. These really are my, my touchstones. This is what brought me into loving these movies so much. I was exposed to them through various books and publications. I've talked about the Crestwood House books. Uh, I've talked about uh, just my my past and my history with these. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein was the first one of the batch that I saw, but because I knew the stories of the other ones going into it, I kind of knew, I was able to catch up. You know, I, was, I kind of knew what was going on. Uh, and I just love them. If I ever need just a shot of instant nostalgia, even though these movies predate me by quite a bit, just put one of these movies in and, and I'm there. I'm in my very, very happy place. And of course, you know, my absolute favorite film of all time is a universal film, Creature from the Black Lagoon. My beloved creature. 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 Oh man. Anyway, thanks for writing in, George. It's great to hear from you. It's great to hear from new listeners. New listeners, listeners that have been around for a while, we'd love to hear from you. Monsters in the Machine, let people know how to send in their own feedback you can call and leave a voicemail for monster kid radio at 503-810-5mkr that's 503-810-5657 or you can send an email to the podcast monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address that's monsterkidradio at gmail.com okay i've made everybody wait way too long let's go ahead and roll into the rest of the show we've got mark waiting kenny waiting yeah everybody's waiting so Let's go. Famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Shock Award winner The Monster of Piedras Blancas 
The monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com, and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again, and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. The cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the killer shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece, The Killer Shrews. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Have you ever wanted to just get away from it all? That's what June and Yuriko are thinking on their day off, and they're in such a hurry to get going that they leave Ipe behind, never to be seen again. That's the very weird way the 28th episode of Ultra Q begins, the last in the series, which was broadcast for the first time December 14, 1967. Now, if you've been paying attention for the past 27 weeks, you might realize that all the rest of the episodes were shown in 1966. In fact, the disappearance of Flight 206, the previous installment, debuted on July 3rd of 66. Episode 28, simply entitled Open Up, didn't hit TV until a year and a half later. What happened? Before I answer that, a word on Open Up. As a series finale, it's pretty dark, but viewers are at least given a definite answer regarding who Yuriko favors more, June or Ipe. The story, about a train capable of taking disenchanted souls to another dimension, 
features the talents of the great A.C. Amamoto as a science fiction author whose writing may be responsible for the supernatural mode of locomotion. Amamoto is well known by Toho fans as the flamboyant Doctor Who in King Kong Escapes and Ichiro's friendly neighbor in All Monsters Attack or Godzilla's Revenge. So what caused a year and a half delay? In a word, Ultraman. Open Up was never meant to be the last chapter of Ultra Q. It was actually among the first to be produced, but its air date near the end of the run was preempted by a special program called Birth of Ultraman. Subaraya used Ultra Q's airtime to launch their next project, which would prove to be a cultural juggernaut introducing young viewers and their families to the Science Patrol, a parade of giant monsters, and an alien from the Land of Light who fights to defend the Earth. Ultra Q would live on in reruns, even as Ultraman began to dominate, and Open Up would be shown in sequence, the final glimpse into that black and white, unbalanced world late in 1967. Next week, it's the birth of Ultraman. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. fantastic duel of the century, the most ferocious battle in history. The flesh and blood King Kong fights his most incredible enemy, a 60-foot robot King Kong forged of super steel. King Kong escapes. All new, all thrilling in Technicolor. King Kong battles missiles, monsters, and a King Kong of steel. King Kong escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release. Frankenstein's monster can be destroyed by fire. Dracula, by a silver stake driven through his heart. But nothing, nothing will avail against the absolute evil of the creeping flesh. The creeping flesh. From Columbia Pictures, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. No, no. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's film, Kingdom of the Spiders, was not covered in FM, but I did find some information on its illustrious star, William Shatner. In FM 120 from October of 1975, there was an article on the Shatner film, The Devil's Reign. It included this brief bio. William Shatner, a native of Montreal, Canada, was a senior at McGill University's College of Commerce when he decided on a theatrical career. 
he joined the Canadian National Repertory Theatre in Ottawa, the alma mater of most of the Dominion's distinguished actors. Shatner had enjoyed his first taste of acting at eight. Two years later, he was enrolled in the Children's Professional School in Montreal. He was graduated to juvenile roles on radio for the Canadian Broadcasting Company. On Saturday mornings, he did fairy tales. In 1955, he accepted an offer from CBS TV in Toronto to star in a television play, Dreams, which he had written months before. Later, in New York, he became one of television's busiest actors. Next, he signed a contract with MGM and moved to the West Coast. His most recent theatrical roles have been in Remote Asylum in Los Angeles and in many stock appearances around the country. Shatner's versatility as an actor is illustrated most by his varied film roles. He received the Best Actor Award at the International Peace Festival in 1965 at Los Alamos, New Mexico, for his work in The Intruder. Incubus is another example of the unusual fair in which Shatner has taken part. It is an Esperanto-language supernatural motion picture. Star Trek, the hour-long weekly NBC TV series, has enjoyed a remarkable history. On the series, Shatner was cast as Captain James Kirk, commander of the USS Enterprise, a cruiser-sized spaceship. He's expected to reprise his famous role in a motion picture version of Star Trek. It seems to Shatner that making the movie has affected people in and around it. Having worked in so many Star Trek episodes, which frequently concern individuals who use mental powers to control others, it is possible for whatever one believes emphatically to really happen. Shatner sincerely believes that an X factor exists in all of us, and it is plausible for this factor to stem from some extraterrestrial influence. There's an unexplainable something about mankind that has influenced all his behavior throughout the ages, Shatner says, and there are too many things that do happen that cannot be explained. Shatner points out that the science fiction in Star Trek was imaginable. There are so many things that we're not even capable of imagining, he adds. Shatner has been intrigued by the various cults that have existed through the ages. I'm just curious and very open-minded, he says and smiles. Perhaps that's my X factor. FM also covered Star Trek, especially the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. Not much was said of Shatner in these articles until issue 187, where the Star Trek II performance was praised. William Shatner has never been better. By turns flamboyant and subtle, Shatner gives us a flesh-and-blood Kirk, a man facing his greatest personal challenge. William Shatner's work in the final minutes of the movie deserve high praise, but there is another, earlier sequence that deserves mention. Khan has crippled the Enterprise and is demanding that it surrender. With the triumphant Khan gloating in the visual screen and watching his every move, Kirk must come up with some plan in less than 60 seconds to save his beloved ship. Kirk lulls his adversary into overconfidence and buys valuable time by playing the desk-bound, helpless fop, bifocals and all. Instance before his saving salve is to strike Khan's ship. Kirk mass dropped. Here it comes, he chides his enemy. One last mention of Shatner appeared in FM 157 from September of 1979 in an article entitled, Why Christopher Lee is Mad at Me, William Shatner Too. In it, Forey shares how Lee was upset because of a dearth of fan mail in which folks said Forey had given them Lee's address. Ackerman used the article to deny the charge. Here is where Shatner is mentioned. Now he said something that startled me even more than his original accusation. I couldn't believe my ears. They stood up like Mr. Spock's as I heard Christopher declare. And William Shatner is upset too. 
He's told me that he's received letters naming you as the individual who gave out his address. But, but, I sputtered in what has come to be known as righteous indignation. I don't even know William Shatner's address. And that's God's honest truth. I've never had occasion to get in touch with him personally. I'd probably have to get in touch with Gene Roddenberry at the studio, who would probably only refer me to Shatner's agent. What utter nonsense. How could I defend myself? His last words on the subject were, Well, you had better do something about it. Like what? What control have I over someone who may never even read these words, but somehow may get the private address of Christopher Lee or Vincent Price or Leonard Nimoy, and mistakenly think it will make an impression on them to say I gave out their address. Gets me in touch with them. Well, Mr. Lee can be sure henceforward if he receives any more mail at his private address and the writer says I gave it to them, he can be certain that I didn't. For the very simple reason that he has moved and chosen not to give me his new address. This hurts you more than it does me if you are a big Chris Lee fan. Because although I shall continue to recognize his birthday each year in our pages, as the time rolls around, I shall no longer be able to forward your congratulations to him. I am very sorry that the considerate fans among you have to be penalized by the bad actions of a few. And I can only hope that if Mr. Lee reads these words, or Mr. Shatner does, or anyone else does who thinks I have betrayed their confidence, they will be convinced of my sincerity when I say, I am innocent. That's all for this week's awkward dramatic history of famous monsters of filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. There have been films about earthquakes, airplane disasters, and blazing infernos. But there has never been anything like The Devil's Reign. That wasn't your father. It was his face. Mother? Mother! Come back! Damn you! They had no faces. The Devil's Reign. The 300-year search for the power to damn mankind is over. And the towering terror of the devil on Earth is now unleashed. The Devil's Reign. Hundreds of souls held captive in an eternity of hell. Seize him! Possessed by the devil. You, my son, have defiled all that is holy. Mother, my God, my God! They become his worshippers and his demons. Under the house. It is in the basement of your home. You can hear it, and soon you will see it. Terror from under the house. Warning. Free. Free with every ticket. You must accept free screaming teeth of terror as a warning that terror from under the house might just scare you to death. Hemisphere Pictures presents Terror from under the house. You may never go in the basement again. It's all new. The creature walks among us, more terrifying in human form. 
striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. The creature walks among us, horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us, the grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotions. Boss Merle Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Is this the first time you've been on the show? I think it's the first time you've been on MKR, isn't it? Correct, yes. All right, yeah, yeah, so... Uh... I'm just going to start with that. Listeners, you just heard a brand new voice. Although, if you're listening to his podcasts, and yes, I said plural, you're going to recognize him. It is Roger, but you might know him as Rigor, the man from the East Meets West podcast, and then is now. Did I get that right? You absolutely did, Derek. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. Enjoying podcasting. It's fun. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. And, and like I need to tell you, you're doing two shows. That's right. Two shows and coordinating people calling you, telling me stories, and I'm not going to say who, but telling me stories about celebrities calling you yeah. <laughs> about being on the show. That's amazing. There's, a, there's an um, you know imprint of my body on the floor for every time I collapse on the floor from when I get one of these calls. That's awesome. That's so much fun, man. So you've been podcasting for what? Not not very long, but you've hit you've hit it hard, man. You're like in the groove. Yeah, thank you. I um I started actually in 2016 with my son. And we got like one or two done. I managed to get it on, on um, I almost said Netflix, on iTunes. And I just, life <laughs> that's just. What I, that's my new goal. I want to put a pod, my podcast on Netflix now. You're listening, Netflix? There you go. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's go ahead. fine. Um, and so, you know, it was just one of those situations where life kept getting in the way and I really didn't know what I was doing. And I had, of course, been influenced by your show and Rod Barnett's shows and Vince Rotolo. So that really want, got me wanting to do it. And then finally, the year before last, I really decided to make a commitment to start doing it more seriously, figure it out. And I figured out a lot of the me mechanics. As, you know, I've worked in video production and audiovisual services my whole life, so I know my way around the equipment. I basically, I'm going to have to say the silver lining of COVID is that I was on furlough from work and I was able to devote my time full time into podcasting. And here I am now, you know, so, still not making money, but <laughs> dude, there's no, I mean, yeah, anyway. Uh, 
No, uh, you know, I, I appreciate all my patrons and all my advertisers and all that, but no, I hear you. I hear you. It, it's not the day job for sure, uh, as much as we'd all love it to be, I'm sure. Right, right. It's the passion, though. That's what keeps you going. Exactly. And we get to talk about some of our favorite things, monster movies, or in your case, what do you get to talk about on your show? Well, on uh, The East Meets the West, which you were on one episode as a co-host, I think it was episode two, um, I have a new co-host and we talk about spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers films. Basically, what it came down to was I wanted to hear a podcast that would give me information about Shaw Brothers films. And at the same time, I wanted to know about spaghetti westerns and there weren't any out there. So I was, you know, toying with the idea of doing two different podcasts. And my son was like, well, they're both niche audiences. Why don't you combine it and do it in one show? So I did that. It was a brilliant idea. And that's where uh, the East meets the West comes from was, you know, I, I, I love trying to break it down so it's not overly complicated for someone who has never seen any of these films. And what we figured out early on is that, there's a series of actors that started in the movie The Five Deadly Venoms, and they've acted together in like 19 other films, and they're referred to as the Venom Mob, or the Five Weapons Guys. So we've been basically going through their list first of their Shaw Brothers films, of them acting together, and we're seeing the growth of them as actors and the amazing acrobatics and stuff. And like I was saying to you off mic, with the Spaghetti Westerns, it's, like, it's so wide. It's not one company like the Shaw Brothers. And... There are so many similarities that you and I were talking about between, you know, you watch a, a kung fu movie and it could very well have been a Western or vice versa. You know, there's just so much crossover in themes and storytelling and dramatics and all that stuff. It's really interesting. And, and you know, I mean, I think as, as fans of film, once you really start studying film, you can start seeing, and even television now, you can see where things drew their inspiration from. I'm a big believer in the idea that everything is a remix, that everything is influenced by what came before. And, and usually by multiple things that came before, i.e. Quentin Tarantino's career. And that's not a dig. I'm just saying, you know, right, uh, right. so that's probably the most obvious, but even something like the Mandalorian, the show on Disney plus about, well, the Mandalorian, the star Wars show. If you watch that, and then watch one or two spaghetti westerns, you're going to see where all the influences come from. And then if you watch a spaghetti western, and then go back and watch Kurosawa, you're going to see where those influences came from. And right. so to see all the connections here, and to see that the spaghetti westerns were an outgrowth of Kurosawa, but then some of the spaghetti westerns may have influenced some kung fu films, and then just it, it's a really neat kind of weird cinematic genealogy. Right. That I really enjoy digging into. And that's one of the things that I have to thank you for. And I did this off mic. I got to thank you for opening up the world of Kung Fu film to me because I am loving the deep diving that I'm doing now. Uh, I have even started a, a one month free trial over on Amazon for the Hiya channel yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> I <got that> too. <laughs> you know, I. I started going, I was a little disappointed, I got to say, because a lot of them are not subtitled and or dubbed. <laughs> oh, God. So now, now granted, <laughs> I'm slowly starting to learn the international language of Kung Fu, so I'm getting there. Right. But, you know, I would like to know what they're saying to each other. Yeah. But I'm still having a fun. Yeah. I always wanted to point out, too, that Mandalorian does have a lot of Kung Fu movie influence, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Certain style. It's sort of a mashup of both genres. Oh, yeah. You, you can't help but see it. Yeah. You can't, you know, if you're paying attention. But you don't have to know it to love it. And that's, I think, the, the key of a great storyteller and we are way off topic what's the other podcast that you do <laughs> sorry um my other sorry, podcast, no, it was my show i did it <laughs> <laughs> my other podcast is called then is now and it came from the idea when my kids were born 
quite a long time ago, I felt the need to, you know, bring them up to speed on all the cool stuff they missed out on. So they grew up knowing who Fonzie was and Frank Sinatra and Jaws and Star Wars and, you know, everything you should know and that shouldn't be disappearing from our pop culture. So my goal is with the show is to sort of discuss and, and analyze pop culture of the past and present it to the younger audience, to the younger generation of stuff maybe they're missing out on, maybe they had never heard of. You know, my kids going through school in high school, they got all the teacher's references, and the teachers would always be amazed that they knew what the teacher was talking about, you know? So we've covered so many different topics. I mean, we've talked about role-playing games, and I did a crossover with the Happy Days podcast, and every so often we break down a movie. One guy and I are going through a perimeter on how to introduce someone to horror movies. And we started with the Universal films, and we've been going through each series, Dracula and The Mummy, and then next up is going to be the Invisible Man series and their sequels. And um, So we're just having a lot of fun all over the place. I'm, I'm trying to get a drive-in theater owner on the show. And I will say this, because I, I, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it will probably be out around the same time, is I just interviewed Bob Eubanks, the legendary game show host of the Newlywed Game. And so we're getting more and more people that are from the past to sort of come on the show and talk about their life and career and present them to the next generation, so to speak. That's awesome. Now, this episode is actually going to be the next one that goes out in the feed. Uh, okay. So this will be coming out uh, mid-March. When does the Bob Eubanks episode come out? Do you know? I think it's the last week of March, somewhere okay. around the 25th, so... All right. So how do people find the podcasts? We're on all the podcasting apps. It's, uh, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, mm -hmm. Spotify, pretty much every single one. You can also go to my website, which is Haven Podcasts. That's podcasts, plural, dot com. Okay. We're also part of a, a what's called the Dorkening Podcast Network, which they have a lot of other great shows there, the Dorkening.com. And I'm on YouTube. And also, I just wanted to point out, too, because it's something that I'm going to bring up in our conversation today is uh, if people want to check out my Retro TV Guide Scans page on Facebook, I'm actually going to be changing it and adding in newspaper movie ads, too, because we, I do a lot of digging and research into TV guides. And now I've been kind of diving into newspaper ads, too. So I think it's a lot of fun. People love looking at these old things going, oh, I remember when that movie came out. You know, or I remember when that was on TV. Well, the ads, the way they did the advertising in TV Guide or the old newspaper movie ads and things like that, very different. Very different than the kind of advertising you see these days. Right. You know, exactly. and I can't remember the last time I even looked at a newspaper, to be honest. Um, so yeah. I don't know how they advertise <laughs> movies in the newspaper now, but do they even advertise movies in the newspaper? I was well, just going to say, I don't know if they do. Well, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to havenpodcasts.com. And will you send me a link to the Facebook page and I'll make sure that's in the links as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So we talked about what you do. You want to dive into what we do here on Monster Kid Radio? Sure. And you know what we do? The Classic Five. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Classic Five for people who are just now joining us, brand new listeners, or just people who need a gentle reminder. The Classic Five is a game that we play here on the show. I have got a literal deck of cards that you can pick up for your very own over at tinyurl.com slash classic five. And that's five spelled out. We're going to draw five cards. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get a couple of monster kids or friends talking about, well, monster movies. Roger, you ready to play? I'm ready. I'm nervous, but I'm ready. Ah, uh, don't be nervous. Like I said, there are no wrong answers, my friend. <laughs> All right, here we go. Card, you know what? You brought it up. I'm going to bring it up. Other than the original, what is your favorite Invisible Man film from Universal? Oh, I'm going to have to say The Invisible Woman.
Don't you dare come back here. I say, you're materializing. Go get your clothes off. Why, Professor, I'm ashamed of you. Get me a nurse, get me a doctor, get me something. George, we better get the professor. What for? To cheer up a lot of bedclothes? Come clean about how this machine works. Make me invisible. I did not invent that machine to make killers like you invisible. Oh, this is gonna be good. Whoopee! After having rewatched them, Invisible Woman, I thought, was hilarious and well done, and I just really enjoyed that film. It took me a while to warm up to it. Now I love it. But the first time I saw it, I thought, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those movies, you know, over the years that a lot of the sequels of, like, like for The Invisible Man, specifically, I didn't think they were going to be all that good, so I maybe didn't even bother to watch them. And I don't think I would have enjoyed it if I was a kid. I think it's more, not that it's, you know, anything racy, but it's just more of an adult kind of a story that, you know, the, the humor appeals to an adult rather than it would a kid. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I wasn't ready for the kind of the, well, complete disconnection from the franchise. It has nothing to do with any of the right. other Invisible Man films. Uh, and that includes the Abbott and Costello film. It has nothing to do with any of those. Right. And and I was a little off put by or put off by that, I think. But the last time that I talked about it here on the show, in fact, the last time I saw it was when I talked about it here on the show with uh, Tracy Morris. And I just fell in love with it. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's not my favorite of the of the <laughs> uh, sequels. I like The Invisible Agent. That one's where I go. I okay, love The yeah. Invisible Agent so much. All right, cool. That was card number one. Let's draw another card here. How are you on your Hammer films? Um, I'm good. Pretty good. good. <laughs> favorite actress to appear in your in a Hammer film? Oh, I'm gonna have to say Ingrid Pitt. Mm. I just love everything that she does. <laughs> she was something else. She's somebody that I never got a chance to meet. Same. I would love to have met her. Yeah, yeah, same. I know there were many conventions that she was at that I wanted to go to and just for whatever reason couldn't get there. And it's it's just one of those ones that you always kick yourself over, you know, you should make, make a better effort sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I hear she was amazing. All the interviews that I've read and seen with her, just fantastic, incredibly talented, just wow. Yeah. All right, well, I'm not going <laughs> to argue with you. Like I said, no wrong answers, but that one, that one's, that one's the right answer. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, I'm going to switch this up and go into your wheelhouse. What classic monster would you want to see in a spaghetti western? Ooh, what classic monster would I want to see? Hmm. Um. Well, I mean, the western star Tom Tyler played the mummy, uh, but no, that's that's not my answer. I'm. Geez, you know what would be cool? It would be cool to see the Lawrence Talbot Wolfman in a western setting. As of course, Lon Chaney Jr. has played in a few westerns himself, and sure. I could totally see him in that era as Lawrence Talbot tr- struggling with the Wolfman and and the craziness that ensues, and the Cowboys trying to deal with it. I think that would be fun. Ah, when you say Lon Chaney in western, I immediately go to High Noon. Right, it's an older Lon Chaney though, so I'm trying to de-age him in my brain. Yeah, yeah, and, I'm picturing the older one too. <laughs> wow, but wouldn't that be cool? That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. He gets busted. He's in the jail cell, and you can you know replay that whole scene where he turns right oh. in front of people from what was it, House of Dracula? I like it. <laughs> All right, I like it. All right. Well, you know, I'm gonna keep it in your wheelhouse. What classic monster would you want to see in a kung fu flick? Oh wow. Okay, classic monster in a kung fu film. Hmm. You can go with a Godzilla because that would totally change the film. <laughs> um, I can't see the creature from the Black Lagoon doing kung fu moves. Oh, wow. This is a tough one. I guess I'm going to have to go with The Invisible Man. 
That's Oddly exactly enough. what I was going to say, actually, yeah. for me too. <laughs> <laughs> because he he could get around them. He could, you know, it, it could be really fun to see him in, in a Kung Fu movie. Make it some sort of like, I don't know, study or discipline where they're, they're all practicing underneath some grandmaster to master the art of becoming invisible in combat or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that would be I great. Just, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll go back to the card for this one. Last question. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster or the mummy? Well, I mean, he's done it what three times as the monster. He only did the mummy once. I really loved the look of the mummy. I really loved what he did with Ardeth Bay. But I'm going to have to go with Frankenstein just because those first three, Frankenstein Bride and Son of Frankenstein, I just those are so good on so many levels that there's a lot more that you can pull out of that. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. Then there's no wrong answers, no wrong answers at all. And <laughs> Karloff as Frankenstein's monster is iconic. Right, So exactly. Not going to get any arguments out of me. Well, that was the Classic Five. The Classic Five! We got warmed up here. We're going to go from 1930s Karloff film zone to 19, what is it, 72? 77. 77. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 77. So from Karloff to Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there's a jump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An unknown species of horror is born as science fiction becomes science fact. I've never seen anything like it. One minute they weren't there, and the next minute they were everywhere. An army of deadly predators searching, destroying anything in their path. He's over at Covey's. He's found another 20 or 30 hills just like the one we burned. Why did they come? What do they want? The spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army. A living, crawling hell on Earth. The kingdom of the spiders. A wild science fiction nightmare. Starring William Shatner, Tiffany Bowling, Woody Strode, and introducing Alphabese Davis. Your nightmares will never be the same. Kingdom of the Spiders. The next victim could be you. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. All right, so you reached out to me about doing this film. Is this a movie that you've got a soft spot for? Do you have memories attached to when you first saw the film? Why did you want to talk about this one? I surprisingly... For, for me, for those who know me and have listened to me, I pretty much saw almost everything in the theaters since I was two. I think you and I talked about I saw Asylum with Peter Cushing when I was two at the drive-in, and I never forgot it. <laughs> um, this was one I did not see at the movies. Okay. And, and I'm surprised because when I was doing some research on it, I was looking at the other movies that were around at that time. I'm like, well, I saw that one. I saw that one. I saw. Why didn't my parents take me to see this one? So I'm going to have to ask my mother about that. But I do remember when it came on TV, it was like one of those movie of the weeks, probably in like 80, 81, somewhere around there. And it was just a big deal. You know, we were talking about it on the playground because the tra they were playing the trailers. And in the trailer, there's a scene where Shatner's reaching up to the ceiling and he pulls a panel and all these spiders come falling out. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, that's going to be so scary. And, and it was. And so as a kid, that was a terrifying movie. But we absolutely, I absolutely loved it and enjoyed it. It was just so much fun. And so I've revisited it many times over the years. So it was just one of those films that I think it's a little underrated. I think it should get more, uh, more props than it has gotten. For me, I had uh, seen it once years ago, but didn't have a lot of memory of it. So when I watched it last night to kind of get ready for this, it was a pleasant uh, revisit, I suppose I could say. I didn't remember a lot of the specifics. I just remembered Shatner uh, fighting spiders. I remember Shatner <laughs> getting bitten. 
and I got towards the end of the movie and I'm like, there's not much movie left. When does he get? Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. So I was waiting <laughs> for that. I did not remember his character's backstory at all. And the kind of sort of maybe not relationship between him and his brother's wife. I, I didn't remember that at all. Right. Um, which I kind of feel like the filmmakers didn't remember that either halfway part of the time, but, um, <laughs> but wow, this, this one, it really struck me. And I, I'm going to say right off the bat, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I do cringe, especially in the sixties and seventies and maybe even into the eighties, whenever real animals or, or life is used in a monster movie like this, because you know, in 77, the tarantulas were not treated well, right? You know, several, many of them died during the production of this. And I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable about that. And I just want to kind of put that out there now. I do not uh, support that, obviously. You know, I'm an animal lover and all that. But I just, I just want to address that before we get into the rest of the movie. Right. And that, that was hard to watch, too. I got the Code Red Blu-ray version, and I listened to the commentary as well. And even Tiffany Bowling, who played uh, Diane in the movie, she was saying how she was upset when they were killing the spiders and ego Cantor was the producer was also on there. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, we didn't want to, but it was a sign of the times. And I, I think that's how audiences have to take it is you have to take movies in the context from the time in which they were made. So right. you, you can't judge it by today's standards. We know better now. We didn't know better then. We know better now that would not be allowed to happen now. Right. That, you know, uh, either by choice or by law, it would not be allowed to happen. Right. And um, to deny it is, you know, to, to not just kind of brush it aside and not talk about it is to ignore the history. It's kind of disrespectful, the whole thing. So I just wanted to address it before we move on to the rest of the movie, because it does kind of cast a, a negative taste or put a negative taste in my mouth sometimes with some of the scenes, like the cars running around. You, you see tarantulas get run over. And, and right. I know a lot of people have problems with spiders. I'm the kind of guy, if I find a spider in the house, I put it outside. I don't smush it or whatever. You know, I just, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just wanted to say that. Now you mentioned the actress. So uh, I'm glad you brought her up because I wanted to bring her up too. She wasn't the original choice for this, was she? No. Well, Donna Mills auditioned for it, but she was too uncomfortable with the spiders. And she basically got the role because she was the only actress that auditioned that had no trouble working with the spiders. Oh, Tiffany Boylan? Yeah. Yeah. Is she still doing stuff today? I, I don't know much about her. She's still around. Um, I don't think she's been doing much. She, like I said, she did the commentary, and that was from uh, a couple of years ago, I think 2019. You know, she was in the exploitation classic Centerfold Girls before this, Centerfold mm -hmm. Girls. Um, she was also on Electra Woman and Dinah Girl, Man from Atlantis, uh, Grizzly Adams. And there was one I found that looked really interesting. It was called Wicked Wicked. It's a horror movie from the 70s. I, I don't recall what the plot was, but it just sounded like, oh, I'm going to have to go see that one. <laughs> That's a great title. It's a great title. I'm glad you brought up the uh, Electra Girl and, or excuse me, Dinah Girl and uh, Electra Woman, Woman and Dinah Girl. That's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, because in that, she plays a villain called the Spider Lady. Which That's I right. Was <laughs> a nice little connection there, you know? I thought she was, she was good in this. I mean, obviously she was cast because she could handle the spiders and in the chemistry that she has with Shatner, I really believed. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's sometimes easy to look at Shatner and kind of cast this unfair. He's overacting, dramatic pausing, whatever, but no, Shatner was a really good actor and he really gave it his all, even though he didn't want to do the movie. <laughs> right. Well, he didn't, he wasn't the first choice either. I think to play, yeah. I think they wanted Bo Svensson. Uh-huh to play the part and he ended up getting it you know he's one of those actors that you've got it cemented in your head that he's captain kirk so whenever he goes out and does another role especially back then when star trek was still new at least for me 
I always looked forward to seeing Shatner in whatever he was in because I liked Star Trek. But then he did a lot of roles before this that I was always disappointed. Like, I, I'm going to specifically point out The Devil's Reign from 75 with Ernest Borgnine. Okay. He was such a weak character in that movie. I remember both me and my dad were like bummed. We're like, oh, we thought he was going to get up and kick some butt, you know? And he's, <laughs> he pretty much did not. But I think this movie made up for it where he kind of had that humor like when he pretends or he just lets her think that he works at the gas station because she assumes it and he's really the the town veterinarian and you know by all accounts that's something that Chatner would have done in real life too you know <laughs> I did like that and when she comes across him again later he's like kind of hiding his face from her until <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it's you I, it was great it was great um yeah but I think I, People, yeah, I don't think Shatner gets enough credit sometimes for how good of an actor he can be. Right, exactly. And I think it's it's all on how invested in the project he is, I think. Mm-hmm. is How much of himself is he going to throw into the part? Like, I was reading when I was doing research on this, around the same time, they were asking, there was supposedly, they were going to make a Star Trek movie, and then they canceled it for whatever reason. And he was really upset. He basically said that was an idiotic decision. Because Star Wars did well. Everybody still loves Star Trek. You know, why can't you make a Star Trek movie? So I kept going on and again and on again i think it was going to then become a tv show but then they canceled that and you know he had finally come to grips with the whole captain kirk character and come to understand that you know what i should be happy that people want to pay me to do stuff like this you know and i think he really came to terms with that character and be and enjoyed making fun of himself at the same time as also just embracing star trek and going along with it you know if you haven't read it i'd recommend reading uh is it Star Trek Memories? I think oh, is yeah. what it's called. Yeah. Uh, it really kind of gets into what was going on with him working on the show, the immediate fallout from the show getting canceled, uh, a period of time when he was just living in a trailer. I mean, just really interesting to hear from his point of view what that was like. Yeah. Uh, in, in a non glitched up Hollywood kind of, oh, we look back at it as a legend now kind of way, you know? And it's really interesting. And like I said, Shatner. He does not get enough credit. He made some choices cinematically. I I don't know about White Apache, but, you know, (laughs) he's got some real solid acting chops on display. And I bought him in this. I really liked the character in this. Yeah, He's got some swagger in that I'm sure is a little bit of Captain Kirkish, but he's not just that. He's got so much more. And I believed him as the vet. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I loved about it, you mentioned, you know, that his brother passed away and the sister was kind of starting to fall for him, which, by the way, in real life, she became his second wife. Yeah. After this movie. But um, I liked the whole theme of loss that she had lost the husband and he had lost his brother. And it was just sort of hanging over them throughout the film, at least, like you said, for the first part of it anyways. And I think Shatner's character specifically latched on to Diane because he was trying to push himself away from his brother's wife because he just didn't want to tap that well, you know, <laughs> or go down that way. I, don't I, know. Knew, <laughs> I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant, <laughs> but no, you're right. And that was one of the things that surprised me when I revisited this movie, uh, when I watched it for this is the beginning sequence, the beginning scene where they're out and about, you know, he and his brother's wife are out doing stuff and they start poking each other, kind of flirting, kind of wrestling around. And she slips and calls him by his brother's name. Right. And just this curtain just drops between the two of them. And it was pretty uh, moving. Yeah. And, and I felt the pain for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I liked about this movie. Yeah. 
You know, and that was Mar- Marcy Lafferty. Uh, Marcy. Um, I'm from Boston, so I, <laughs> I have a New England accent. I don't pronounce my eyes. But um, <laughs> she was also in Star Trek The Motion Picture, The Day Time Ended, and Airplane 2. Yeah. So she was she was around with him for quite a while. Yeah, and, and she was good. Like I said, I, I, I totally bought the relationship and the hurt and, like you said, the loss. Right. Uh, even before we find out what really happened. Uh, why his brother is no longer with us with the whole Vietnam thing. Right. I knew there was pain and it was good. It was very well done. Yeah. They played it well. You know, one guy I wanted to mention in the movie too was Woody Strode who played Walter. Yes. I'm about to record tomorrow another East meets the West episode. And he's in the movie called Boot Hill from 69 in that. And he was awesome in that. He's like this former gunfighter that ends up joining the circus. Mm -hmm. I loved him in this, but I felt like he didn't have enough to do. You know, it feels like they only had him for so many days. Yeah. Like he was maybe a name that they didn't want to pay too much, you know, a lot to keep him around on set for a while. So they had to get his scenes in and out and he didn't get much to do. Yeah. I, his scenes are great. He's all well acted. Yeah. But yeah, I would have liked to see a little bit more with him. Sure. I mean, this is a guy that was in what Spartacus and 10 commandments and mm-hmm. the man who shot Liberty Valance. You know, he's got some real street cred there. Yeah. Uh, Spartacus was the first movie I saw him in. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and, and i was yeah uh and i i just would have liked to see more but he does a great job uh he's he's a what a, a, a what would you say would it be like a, a rancher a, he, yeah he's a rancher and you know i think yeah. he's he's raising these cattle like his prize cattle is the one that gets killed at the very beginning and it's again therein goes into the theme of loss because now he's panicking him and the wife are like well, what are we gonna do our bread and butter just died i thought that was a nice element and he brought a lot of human pathos to the character and frustration and and anger about what's going on the world just kind of crashing down on him because his livelihood gone is going away before his very eyes uh and his family too i mean his dog gets it and uh yeah then him and and ultimately his wife as well you know down the line uh it's just really tragic there's right. a lot of tragicness in this movie. For for a monster movie right, <laughs> about <yeah. laughs> spiders going crazy, there's a lot of tragic and uh, tragicness. Is that a word? There's a lot of tragedy. That's the word. Tragedy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm a writer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you write good. I, I write good words. Yeah. No, it's, it's good stuff. It really is good stuff uh, yeah. in this film. There's a lot of tragedy. I mean, this whole small town is. Okay. So I got some. Um, I'm going to back up here. I got a lot of Jaws whiffs off of this, and I think that was intentional. Jaws kind of set the mold for animal attack type movies, right? Or at least inspired a lot of them. Got a lot of Jaws off this. So it's, you know, instead of shutting down for the 4th of July, we're going to quarantine because of all the spiders and there's a, a city fair coming up or something along those lines. So they don't want to lose that tourism money the sheriff doesn't want the mayor doesn't want to shut down the town so you got a little bit of that jaws going off of it but i also got a lot of night of the living dead coming out of this too towards the end which (laughs) is part of my origin story so yeah you know i got a lot of that there too it's a siege movie at the end and you know i like that too i respond well to that too and maybe even a little bit of the blob i'll throw that in there too yeah you know a little bit of the blob in there too so um, <laughs> in fact, my grandson, when we were watching it, um, when he's using the fire extinguisher, he's like, that's how they killed the blob. Why doesn't he use it on the spiders? He's, oh, good. He's using it. <laughs> right? Right? 
But Roy Engel, who played the mayor, man, did he was he not channeling his inner Murray Hamilton? Oh, because so much. I, he sounded like him, and it was the same, like you said, the same spiel of you know, well, we can't close down. We're having it's summer, and we're having a festival. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was so spot on. You know, I don't know if Rack Hansen was really full on Brody from Jaws, but he, you know, he was trying right. to stop you know, the invasion <laughs> and all that, and uh, it was it was interesting to see and i know a lot of the movies from the 70s of the nature run amok style have that that vibe but i feel like this one really captured it well up to and including the shots of the spiders attacking these weird low angle pov shots as the camera's moving through the grass toward the cow (laughs) or whatever or or even toward the kid (laughs) yeah i don't know if that's supposed to be a spider pov shot or not whatever it was it was unsettling and cool yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and did you know that, by the way, uh, speaking of Roy Engel, um, I think you covered Colossus of New York recently, didn't you? Uh, I, We have talked about it here on the show, yeah. Yeah. He was in that, too, uncredited yep. as a police inspector. Right on. Right on. But one thing um, I wanted to mention, too, was yeah. um, Al- Altavis Davis, who played Walter's wife, Birch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was Sammy Davis Jr.'s wife. Oh, and, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because the beginning it says, and introducing Altavis Davis, but it was actually her third film. And, um, you know, she wanted to start her movie career in something slick, like something Diana Ross had done, like in Lady Sings the Blues. But, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. was like, no, no, he assured her that if, if she managed to survive Kingdom of the Spiders, he would personally find a screen project for her that would be Academy Award material. So I don't think that ever happened, but it was like, how'd that turn out for her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of the movie, but just to kind of give people an idea, if you haven't seen the film, it's basically a small town in Arizona. Spiders run amok. What more do you need? I mean, that, that's really kind of the story. Tiffany Bowling plays a, a scientist, but they never call her a doctor. She's always Ms. Ashley. Right. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, I okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> she's not a doctor. She's just a scientist from the local college. Fine, whatever. Uh, and she's brought in when Rack Hansen, the town vet played by William Shatner, sends some samples off to be analyzed. And they find out spider venom's killing all these things. And nobody believes it could be a spider. I mean, that's, that's just crazy, right? And she's got this weird theory that, you know, DDT is making him stronger. <laughs> Right. Which, I mean, these are tarantulas, and tarantulas don't normally bite people anyway. <laughs> right. That's the conceit. You have to just pretend yeah. that that's, that's not real, that they can do that. <laughs> yeah, you have to go with that. And they normally are pretty aggressive toward one another, too. So to see them all kind of team up and right. go after people. <laughs> Which is what made it scary. When they were making the film, the spiders were afraid of the humans. So they would have to use, you know, like hair dryers and, and air vents and stuff to blow them in the direction they wanted them to go. So it looked like they were going after the people. That's how they did it back then with the bug, any kind of bugs. You just kind of puff them with some air to kind of get right. them to go the way you want them to go. And if you wanted them to be more, uh, I don't know, uh, relaxed, not as very active, you cool them down. Uh, just, right. Which fire extinguishers. <laughs> Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, would would uh, really slow them down in this film. They talk about how they would kill the tarantulas in this case. and Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, um, what, what version did you watch this? Did you watch the Blu-ray? I did not watch the Blu-ray. I want the Blu-ray. 
Um, it's been on yeah. my Amazon wish list ever since it came out, but yeah, I'd like to pick it up. Is the Blu-ray, I mean, you'd recommend it? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's also got a commentary track with Tiffany Bowling and, um, the producer there, Ego. And one other guy who's just sort of a film historian, I didn't know who he was, but it just, the movie looked beautiful. It was nice and widescreen, it, well shot all around, I thought. Yeah? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it had a $500,000 budget, which, you know, back then was nothing to sneeze at. It made like $17 million at the box office, so. Oh, wow, that's I think great. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's great. Oh, I was going to say they were going to do a sequel. They actually, uh, Shatner made a deal with Canon Films and Minaham Golan. They were going to pay him five hundred grand, two fifty to direct and two fifty to star. And he wanted it to be a sequel where he's the only one that survived and ended up in an insane asylum, and then the spiders attack again, and then <laughs> Canon went went bankrupt. And there was no, there was no sequel. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I would have oh, loved yeah. to have seen uh, Insane Shatner being the only one who can save the day. I love it. <laughs> that would be so cool. All right, so I don't know anything about the director, uh, John Bud Cardos. Do you, Bud do you know Cardos. anything about him? Well, he basically got promoted when Ego Cantor, the producer, let's step back a bit to the producer here. Ego Cantor was, um, you know, he was a 20-year movie veteran. He was also a composer and uh, an editor on films, and he was the music supervisor on The Monkees, and he wanted to get into... Uh, producing films and someone approached him with a story that was reminiscent of the birds except it was spiders instead of birds so when he basically made that deal he took john bud cardos from the second unit work and promoted him to director you know cardos says that that cantor was excellent at developing dialogue and he described himself sort of i guess like as, as an idea man especially in terms of action and he had he had directed nightmare and wax and mutant which i think came later i think mutant was an 80s film if i if i remember correctly yeah i think so too i think his directing on this was was spot on i mean think about what they had to do with such a low budget and still be able to pull off like the plane stunt there <laughs> you know the, the plane stunt and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I do know that he directed, um, you, know, you know, I looked at his filmography and it looks like he did some acting for uh, like the Al Adamson company. He was part of that yes. group with yep. Satan Sadist and, you know, Blood of Dracula's Castle and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't do a lot of directing, any directing for them, but, you know, I guess Al Adamson did the directing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I don't know much about him. I, I'm curious though, because this is such a... I don't know, just a, a unique film with all the different elements he had to handle for what clearly was a lower budget, but you'd, you would never know it. Right. You had a plane crash. Yeah. <laughs> you had a plane crash, which I was really expecting them to cheap out on because as the, the crowd, the townspeople are watching this plane out of control, it's kind of dipping over you know, under... The, uh, beneath the horizon line and back up again and down again. And at one point it dives down behind to a house. So you can't see it anymore. And I was really expecting that's where we're going to see the explosion that we're going to see. Like the, we're going to hear it. Maybe see a little bit of a flash and smoke come up from behind the house. And they're going to cheap out on us. Not let us see the plane crash. Nope. It comes right back up and then makes its way right towards the townspeople that are watching. And they're like, Oh no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, and those weren't the stunt people. Those were, you know, Shatner and Tiffany and all the, all the cast standing in front of the barn as the plane's coming at them. That's crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. They couldn't <laughs> afford stunt people. Oh, oh. so the, the plane we're talking about there, 
even though uh, their their advice not to, they're going to dump DDT on the spiders anyway. Right. And the they send the the Baron up into a plane to do it. They just call him the Baron, which I think is right. great. <laughs> Small town Arizona. There's one guy with a plane. Clearly, he's the Baron, and apparently this is his job because he's got. One of my favorite moments of the whole film. He's got on the side of his airplane all these little critters, you know, little bugs or whatever that he's dropped DDT on over the years. <laughs> and before he gets in the plane to take off to do the spiders, he actually takes like a little Sharpie and draws a little spider on the side of his plane with a big grin on his face. You know, he put his hat on backwards. He's all excited. I'm going to get me a spider now, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I just and- imagine like, you know, the World War One or World War Two, uh, you know, fighters with little check marks, the hash marks on the side of their planes, <laughs> how many enemy planes they shot down. In this case, it's how many insects he's annihilated. <laughs> <laughs> he should just have a stamp. He just reaches out and stamps the side of the thing with a picture <laughs> of a bug. <laughs> there you go. But he thinks he's going to get the spiders, but now the spiders no, get him. Spiders got him. <laughs> and and how, how spiders bring down an airplane, I mean, you're going to have to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. And that, from what I understand, the actor uh, who played the Baron was actually flying the plane. I was wondering if he was really like a pilot or stuntman or something that was cast in that role. I, I didn't know. Cause I, yeah, I you, think you he can was. clearly see it's him. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, they it's never really a, cut it's away the, from him. Yeah. I think there was another effort to save money. It's like, well, he doesn't really have a major speaking role. Let's just have him be the pilot, you know, be the Baron. And that was Whitey Hughes was his name. Whitey. That's right. Yeah. That sounds like a stuntman. He's got to be yeah. a stuntman. <laughs> Uh, but he was fun. He was fun. I mean, he had this kind of small town quirk to him. Yeah. I really liked him. Uh, even the little kid in this didn't drive me nuts. And sometimes when you cast a kid, especially a kid that's going to be in peril in a movie, you don't always get the best performance. But I bought her, too. She didn't drive me crazy at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she also played the little girl in the Amityville horror. Oh, is that her? Yeah. That was um, uh, <laughs> Natasha Ryan. She wow, was the okay, daughter in the Amityville. That. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Gosh, I haven't watched the Amityville horror in forever. That that's another terrifying movie. <laughs> wow. Added to oh, the list man. of movies to catch up on again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's one character too that I wanted to mention. Um it was uh, Betty Balling who played Mildred, the telephone operator. That was Tiffany's mother in real oh, life. Oh, was it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's just there in that one sh- one scene, right? Just the one yeah, shot. Yeah. Well, it's funny because in the commentary, she's like, "Oh, and there's mom. Hi, mom." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh man. So um, one thing I thought was cool too is I I accidentally, I accidentally found it as I was doing my research. I wasn't looking for it, but um, the town that this takes place in is Camp Verde in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Even though they shot it mostly there, but then in a couple other places like Sedona. But Camp Verde's website still has a page on it saying that Shatner was there in 76 and the movie was filmed there. And it's to this day, it's their claim to fame. And I guess in 2010 and 11, they had a Kingdom of the Spiders reunion. And it was like, you know, music and barbecue. And then they had a giant screen outside and they played the film at night. And what was really interesting was in, this was 2010. It was the first time that the film had been shown there. I mean, I don't know, maybe they don't have movie theaters there or whatever. So a lot of people who were extras, like especially in the the scene where the the town's going nuts because the spiders are assaulting them, Mm -hmm. they saw themselves on the screen for the first time. And they were cheering and they were thrilled and they were like, you know, they were 
in high school at the time and now they're adults and they're like, oh my God, that's me and that's me. And, you know, it, it sounded like a really fun event. You know, even Shatner and, and Tiffany were invited, but they didn't, they didn't go. Nobody big went, but the, you know, the uh, stuntmen and other people went. Huh. It sounded really good. I love that. I, I love when a small town has a monster movie show up in it, to, you know, to, to film. Uh, and they do that. I know uh, there's a the city that Zat was shot in in Florida. Every once in a while, we'll kind of wheel that out as their claim to fame. You know, oh, yeah. Blobfest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Blobfest. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they even had a, a a Kingdom of the Spiders float in their 2011 parade. <laughs> oh, I would love to see that. Tell me there's a picture cool. of it online. I I didn't do any further research. I'll have to dig and see. Well, it's not like I'm not in front of a computer right now. I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of pictures, I got to tell you, and I got to tell the folks listening about these uh, ads that I found. Yes, um, please do. Please do. Which I sent them to you, Derek, this morning. And it's funny because if if you went to the movies and you just looked in the newspaper and said, oh, Kingdom of the Spiders, this looks good. It would sound pretty good, but you're not going to get the film that they promised you because the ad, and maybe we can post this somewhere, it says, Now, from beyond the stars, the deadliest encounter of any kind, the killing kind, spawned in the farthest corners of the universe, a living, crawling horror descends upon Earth to devour mankind, kingdom of the spiders. Which, oddly enough, it was shown with the cosmic monster, which is Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. But that is absolutely nothing like the movie we saw. <laughs> absolutely not. I love that, though. I love that uh, that that style, that, that chutzpah of, of advertising a movie like that. And this is not uncommon. I mean, <laughs> if you look at original movie posters for the movie, uh, or some original movie posters for the movie Night Fright with John Agar, they really played that up as being something a lot different than what it was. Uh, and you see that with a lot of these movies. Uh, gosh, what was the one? There's like an Italian science fiction movie that came out in the 80s. They were billing as like E.T. 2. But E.T. was, you know, vicious and out for blood and just whatever. Um, well, I found the ad, and this is a little off topic, but I found the ad for... Um, it was one of the the Blind Dead movies, and they re-released it as Escape from Planet Ape. Oh, okay. There's <laughs> and, even a trailer. Yes. For that. And I've seen that trailer. Yeah. And it's it like is... That's like the opening to the movie that they tacked on. <laughs> Legend has it, almost 3,000 years ago, a simian civilization of super intelligent apes struggled with man to gain control of this planet. In the end, man conquered ape after a brutal battle, which saw him destroy the ape, his culture, and society. After this battle, man tortured and killed all the ape prisoners by piercing their eyes with a red-hot poker. One of the prisoners, who was also the leader of the apes, vowed they would return from the dead to avenge man's brutality at a point in time before man destroyed Earth himself. That time is now. The Blind Dead were not the Planet of the Apes apes from millennia. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that kind of repurposing, though, uh, which is something you see with like Spaghetti Western, something you see with Kung Fu, some, you know, yeah. some of this stuff. Yeah. I love that. And that poster you sent with the Beyond the Stars, you know, they were playing up the Star Trek. You know, oh, yeah. because it's Shatner. Yeah. Right. They really want to kind of 
drive home the fact that we got the Star Trek dude in our monster movie. <laughs> but it's nothing. Like, there's no outer space. There's no cosmic threat. There's no beam me up or Vulcans or any of that. It's just <laughs> spiders who are running out of food and decide to team up and take on the humans. <laughs> Although there was that one scene towards the end where Shatner's running to the, um, I guess it was the inn or the lodge, and uh -huh. there's like spiders all over the ground, and he does this sort of Captain Kirk skip and a hop as he's trying to get through them to get to the door. <laughs> there's that, and uh, there's a moment towards the end when he starts having this kind of Shatner like, damn, damn, you know, this kind of, <laughs> this, this approach, this styling, uh, which is fine, I mean. At that point, I'm all in anyway. Yeah, yeah. If the movie had started like that, it'd be a little bit different. But I was all in at that point, so. One other cool ad that I found uh, that I thought was really interesting, I, I also sent you, was um, it was basically this, uh, like a clothing store called the Liberty House. And okay. uh, for, the, for those fans out there who like uh, horror TV hosts, uh, I'll read to you the ad. It basically, it first says the tickets are going to go on sale at noon for Kingdom of the Spiders at San Francisco and the Oakland locations for Liberty House. And if you're among the first 30 customers in each store on August 20th, you'll receive tickets for two to a special advanced screening hosted by Creature Features host Bob Wilkins, which I thought would be so awesome to see. I would have loved to have seen that. Um, and then great. it goes on to say, Kingdom of the Spiders stars William Shatner, who finds himself in another kind of space, surrounded by crawling spiders. Tickets will be given away at Liberty House, San Francisco, Oakland. And, and it just goes on and on. First come, first serve. But if, you're, if you go within the week of August 14th to the 20th, you get a free spider t-shirt. So I, I thought that was really great advertising. I would have loved to have gotten one of those free spider t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you could find those on eBay. Oh, that'd be great, right? Yeah. <laughs> So while we've been talking here, I did some checking. Uh, the website doesn't exist anymore, so I'm trying to find it on the Wayback Machine. But there is a Facebook page for Kingdom of the Spiders Festival Reunion. Hasn't been updated in a while because it's been, you know, however many years ago. Right, 10 but years. But there are some pictures uh, from local newspapers covering the reunion. Oh, and the history awesome. of the Kingdom of the Spiders, including an article written by a veterinarian who says spiders really aren't that bad. Stop killing them. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like a production photo of the director talking to Woody Strode. Yeah, somebody getting ready to do their big scene in town with a spider glued in their hair to run through the town with spiders attacking him, that sort of thing. Uh, awesome. I'm going to do a little bit more research and see if I find anything else about this. Nice. Um, because I would love to see a picture of that float. I mean, that's really what I want to see is the float. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing see that, that coming float, down? <laughs> that would no. be so cool. I did a little bit of digging myself on this and I guess production painted spiders on buildings to make it look like there were more spiders than there really were. Yep. And, and again, this is all according to the internet, but when production <laughs> left, they, they agreed, they promised to paint over the spiders, but they did it real quick and dirty. So right. you could still see the spiders through the, the cheap paint <laughs> yeah. for years afterwards. For years. Yeah. And, I kind of love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> One of those cinematic artifacts, you know, yep, this is where they shot that movie. See, they even painted spiders on the wall. and we're, That would be preserved. See, in my mind, you preserve that. You don't paint over it. Exactly. You leave, like, that's a monument to something great that happened in your small little Arizona town, buddy. Right. You know? <laughs> Hollywood was just here, for God's sakes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, apparently, there is a, a website that talked a little bit about 
this as well. Arizona's little Hollywood.blogspot.com, which is a spinoff of a book. Yes, I think that's the website. Yeah. I've never seen, I've never heard of this book. I was born in Arizona. I've got family in Arizona. And every time I go back to visit Arizona, I always threaten to make them take me to, because I don't have my own car at that point, uh, make my mother drive me around town or out around the state to try to find where they shot some Westerns or these other things. Now I've got another location I'm going to want them to take me to. I want to go see where they shot this film. Oh, yeah. That, w- that would be amazing. I want to go to the Camp Verde Town Hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hang out. And I'm going right. to order this book. I have to get this book, man. <laughs> uh, they probably had to, had to rebuild Earl's garage after the, uh, the crop duster crashed into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than likely. <laughs> oh, man. More than likely. You know, one thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, go ahead. Go, I, was, I just was going to say, you know, I had a fun time with this movie. But what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say one cool thing about this movie, and it just goes to show you that it's it's got some credibility. It was nominated for a Saturn Award uh, for Best Horror Film for 78. Shatner was nominated for Best Actor, and uh, Woody Strode was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So people were taking a look at this film. You know, I think it's too bad that the other deal fell, fell through for a sequel, because they could have had a little franchise on their hands, you know? Well, you mentioned that nomination, and I'm glad you brought that up, because, again... If the internet is to be believed, there is an infamous performance of William Shatner doing a cover of Elton John's Rocket Man. Yes, that's my he's, favorite. He's sitting at a piano. It's all loungy. He's smoking a cigarette. You know, it's all Shatner cool. And that was apparently filmed during the television award ceremony for that particular. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize yeah, that, that was that, connected. Wow. That that's the that's the word. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm gonna have to do some more research on that as well. Yeah, because um, if it's nineteen seventy eight, then that's the one. Yeah. Um so without Kingdom of the Spiders, we wouldn't have Shatner doing Rocket Man on television. <laughs> that is my all time favorite. I mean, what I love next to that one, just under it, is uh Stewie from Family Guy doing the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> she packed my bags pre-flight. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's iconic, right? Yeah. It's you know, I mean, like I said, I think it's easy to look at Shatner and write him off. As, right. You know, the Star Trek guy, he does the over-exaggerated pausing. I think Kev, the comedian and actor Kevin Pollock does uh, a yeah. Shatner impersonation with a lot of dramatic pauses. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's over <laughs> Yeah, Shatner did do that as Kirk a little bit, but it wasn't as bad as everybody makes it out to be. Right. And it right. all worked as Shatner. Shatner gets a bad rap, man. He does. I I, I loved him in this. He was great. He was. Save the he day was... for me, Shatner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he has that... Um, well, I had heard, and again, like you said, this is one of those things that you read on the internet may or may not be true, but I've heard that the reason he does those pauses is he's thinking about what his next line is supposed to be. <laughs> Which that's believable, okay. you know. Sure. Yeah, I mean it's a very human affectation, right? Right. You know, you're choosing your words carefully, and and Shatner, you know, he believes in the economy of words or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, um, but I dig it, and I mean, he would he won Emmys for what he did in the '90s on television and that sort of thing. So '90s, 2000s, I don't know. But I mean, he's an award-winning actor, classically trained. Uh, He's done a lot of genre stuff, not just Star Trek. He did this, tons of Twilight Zone stuff, you know, tons of other genre projects. And I love him in all of them. And I was really disappointed when the movie came to an end because I wanted to hang out with that crew a little bit more. I wanted to hang out with him a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
want to, you know, play in that sandbox a little bit more, yeah? Yeah. And of course, because he is Shatner, he's the only one who happens to survive the spider bite. I was just going to say that. <laughs> that's not just plot armor. That's Shatner armor. Okay. That's... <laughs> I was going to uh, ask you that, you know, when I, I guess, all right, if you can believe that spiders can kill you, that, you know, tarantulas can kill you, then I guess you can believe he could survive them being killed. Right. Well, he's Shatner, man. Of course yeah. he can. <laughs> what did you think of the ultimate ending of the film? I, I don't want to reveal it in case people haven't seen it. Right. What did you think of the ending? I thought it was very 70s mm-hmm. kind of an ending. Um, I don't, again, yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but I, it's definitely... I, it's not what you expect. In fact, this time around when I watched it, I had completely forgotten how it ended. And Me too. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, me too. And again, not giving anything away, but I liked, there was an effect that was used. And I liked that. I thought that worked very much for like the end, the end sequence. Yeah, I, I had the same reaction because like I said, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I'd forgotten a lot of it. And uh, when that ending came along, I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> and it's very 70s. Uh, 70s science fiction and horror a lot of times had that downer ending. Yes. I, yeah. Again, I, I may have said too much, but <laughs> it's definitely a 70s genre film. I'll just say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, people should still see this movie. It's worth oh. the ride. It's oh, it's yeah. a fun monster movie. You can let your kids watch it. I mean, all right, yeah, there's that one scene where the lady shoots her hand off trying to shoot the spider, but well, instead of just flicking it scene, off. But it's just real short and quick. Real quick. Yeah, you see hardly anything in that. But yeah, <laughs> I, I guess one other thing, too, I wanted to mention about the spiders is that... Um, yeah. They had a lot of, you know, fake spiders, obviously, they but did. they had actually, they purchased 5,000 real ones and they had to go to like some spider wranglers in Mexico and they basically paid them 10 bucks each for a live tarantula. So they would have to literally go around and capture a spider. So $50,000 of the $500,000 budget went towards the purchase of those spiders. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's where the money went, folks. Yeah. <laughs> But oh, hey, that man. was Shatner roping that cattle at the beginning. That was no stunt, man. He really could do that. Oh, I'm sure. I I knew Shatner. You know, he he can ride a horse. I saw Star Trek Generations. I know he yep. could. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen him in other things too. But no, I I knew he could ride a horse, and I knew that was him. And I'm sure he just had fun doing that kind of stuff too. You know, he didn't on Star Trek. He didn't get a chance to do that kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. So I'm sure he had fun getting out there to play cowboy a little bit. And you know what was interesting? There were two articles I found. Um, one was from August of 77. One was from July. And in the, the one from August, Shatner says that his favorite scene was where he's in the basement and he's covered with the tarantulas. And he said that it, they had to shoot it six times before the, the tarantulas would actually fall off him on cue. Oh. And then the previous article in July, uh, that one was from San Antonio. This one's from Zanesville, which I have no idea where that is. But um, apparently Shatner in real life, he goes wild boar hunting with a bow and arrow. You know, like you mentioned, he rides horses, he rides motorcycles. He was even taking up flying and skin diving. But um, when it came to the spiders, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not so gung-ho macho. Uh, they frightened me near to death. <laughs> <laughs> And this is the best line. He says, the only way I could go on set and face them was after a brief session with my drama coach, a very comfortable liquor. <laughs> I was like, drama coach, is that code for something? Yep, that's code for something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, can you imagine this thing was on a double bill with Cosmic Monster, which is also Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla? How cool would that have been? That would. That's an interesting double feature choice, but yeah, yeah. that would have been awesome. 
So, um, I, I think, Derek, we would be remiss in your own words if we did not talk about the music. Ah, see, I didn't, I was trying not to, I feel like I do it too much, so I was trying real hard. Um, a lot of it's library music, isn't it? Yes, yep. Uh, some of it is Jerry Goldsmith's score from a Twilight Zone episode called The Invaders. Mm-hmm. And some of it was like, I guess it was something called the KPM Scratch Library. And um, like some of those sounds, and I recognize them, were in the Spider-Man 60s TV cartoon. Yeah, KPM music, uh, which I believe is now EMI production. Okay. Uh, they did a lot of library music. Uh, you hear their stuff in a lot of the lower budget not just genre, but just film in general, television, a ton of commercials uh, from the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s. Oh, uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty well known. Um, and I've got a couple of their collections on the disc myself. So. Nice. I'm going to have to get that. I, I think I love soundtracks almost as much as you. So Yeah. Library music works when, when chosen well. Night of the right. Dead, for example. Um, oh, yeah. There's nothing but library music. And it's great. And so, whenever you hear, like, in, uh, there's sort of these little, uh, I don't know how to describe them, like country ditties in the film. Those are original uh, pieces that were composed by a guy named Dorsey Burnett, who was apparently a rockabilly legend. Okay. And his son's Billy Burnett, who was in Fleetwood Mac after uh, Lindsey Buckingham left. And I really like, he, he did that, the ballad at the beginning, the Peaceful Verde Valley. And um, it's, you know, it sounds almost like a Johnny Cash kind of song and, you know, it opens up the movie in this peaceful manner with, you know, you get dissolves as the desert and the farmland. And then at the end, when we see that end sequence and we hear the music, you start to feel dread from the same song that you made you feel calm. That's a good point. That's a good point. You're absolutely right. Shining through the early spring. Down in peaceful birdie valley. Who knows what tomorrow may bring Will it bring the love Yeah, so I thought they did a good job Even though they used some recycled music in the movie They, they handled it well For sure, for sure Overall, uh, I mean I recommend it If you haven't seen it, or it's been a long time since you've seen it I, I would recommend it, for sure it is the regrettable spider stuff, but we talked about that. Uh, overall, right. though, I think the performances are really good. Just to kind of see this lower budget 70s genre film pull off what it did is phenomenal. Absolutely. And it's still, it's a, like I said, it's a fun, scary monster movie. Don't expect uh, Silence of the Lambs or, you know, a, a highbrow film. You're not going to get that. But it's okay. not, you know, the bottom of the barrel either. It's really enjoyable. I think of a lot of those, um, you know, Animals Gone Wild movies of the 70s, this is in the top tier with the best of them, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I haven't done a lot of the Animals Run Amok, Nature Turns Against Man type monster movies here, like Grizzly or uh, Frogs or... Day of the Animals. That's such a good one. Phase Four. Um, yeah. Phase four is fantastic. Oh yeah. I haven't seen many of them or covered many of them here on the show. I'm glad we did this one though. I don't know if this is going to open the door to the other ones or not, but uh, this was definitely a good time. I think I may even had more fun talking about it than watching it. (laughs) (laughs) And part of that's because I get to talk to a fellow podcaster who's into some of the same stuff that I'm into. Thank you for bringing it to the show. Thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for having me, man. I, I really enjoyed it. And, 
behind the scenes, this is something we had to reschedule. So thank you for your patience and understanding about rescheduling this and coming back on to do this, even though I bumped the first time we were supposed oh, to do no, it. Oh, no, that's so totally you. fine. I really appreciate it. So again, let's let people know where they can hear more of you. It's havenpodcasts.com. Yes, okay. dot com. Yep. And we'll make and sure there's a link in the show notes, of course, like I said. So. Yeah, and that's where you'll find our other show. Uh, well, you'll find Then Is Now and our other show, The East Meets the West. Mm-hmm. And um, we're also on thedorkening.com as part of their podcast network. Um, I've got my YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash user slash death one And we're on all the podcasting apps. And um, yeah, you know, so that that's where we are. And oh, yeah, if you get a chance, people, if you want to check out my Retro TV Guide Scans page, I think if you just type that in the search on Facebook, you'll you'll find it. It's pretty much you get the TV Guide logo with retro written over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to all of this, of course, so people can find that. Just head over to monsterkidradio.net and click through and you'll be able to catch up with everything Roger's up to. At some point, I'm going to appear back on uh, the East Meets West down the line. Looking forward yep. to talking about retro for a gringo with you and then some other kung fu movie of your choice and then um also I, we've been talking about getting you back on then is now there's, sure. there's a lot of other fun stuff that we want to discuss so oh yeah yeah i mean you start talking retro pop culture you got my attention yeah <laughs> you got my attention you know there's just i just love it so yeah i'm all in man awesome <laughs> Remarkable, aren't they? So natural. So real. Seemingly alive. I'll let you in on a little secret. Some of them are alive. Zombies. Frozen in a theater of terror. People puppets. Acting on the cues of a madman. Ralph, Leslie. Only move, breathe, move, walk, follow me. Nightmare in Wax. It started with an accident. Cameron Mitchell as Vincent, once a man, now a monster. Anne Helm. You comfortable? Oh, very. Am I going to be in here for long? Only an eternity, my dear. Now look, honey, don't try anything funny with that knife. I don't, I don't want to hurt you. Don't be Scott Brady. Honey! Observe the preparation of victims about to join Vincent's demonic legion of the walking dead. Oh, back up. <laughs> Nightmare in Wax. Frightening. Diabolical. Weird. Nightmare in Wax. In color. A Crown International release. That is an incredible motion picture. An entire town goes berserk when a giant underwater creature attacks all human life. That is a frightening experience. Don't miss that. (laughs) 
the most terrifying form of evil is that which lurks within the human mind. This is Asylum, the incurably insane. Asylum, the ultimate in horror. Asylum, the prison of madness, where few enter and none return. Asylum, filled with stark raving terror, from Robert Block, author of Psycho. <laughs> See Asylum. You have nothing to lose but your mind. Asylum, from Cinerama Releasing, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for being here. Thanks for downloading the show, for hanging out with us for a little over an hour and a half, talking about these monster movies. If you have any thoughts about what you've heard this week or any of the previous episodes of Monster Kid Radio, uh, yeah, do that contact information again. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. That, of course, is also available on our website over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about on this episode of the show, including links to havenpodcasts.com. So, Rigor's two podcasts, you're going to find links to that. You're going to find links to his Retro TV Scans Facebook page. I'll even provide a link to a video of William Shatner singing Rocket Man at the Saturn Awards. I'll make sure there's links to any books that we've talked about, or videos, or DVDs, or Blu-rays, or anything like that. So, it'll all be here for you at monsterkidradio.net there's also links to our facebook page and our facebook group and our twitter and our discord there's plenty of ways for you to interact with us and i'll let you in on a little secret the discord there's some great activity there but there's not very many of us over there so if you are on discord please consider joining us over there and have some conversations that happen all the time non-stop day in day out you can post something and somebody's going to leave a response. So check that out. And again, like I said, Saturday, we've got the Twitch thing happening with the Monster Kid Movie Club. There's just plenty of ways for you to interact and hang out with your fellow monster kids. I want to thank every one of you for helping to make that happen. Whether you are a listener, sharing the podcast, tweeting about it, whether you're a patron, just however you participate, you are part of the community. And the podcast would be nothing if not for the community. So thank you. Next week on the show, I have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I am completely out of recorded content. Now, I'm trying to get something set up with a very dear friend of the show. It may be happening on Monday morning, so I may have something in the can by then. But if not, I may have to start scrambling. So there will be something. I'm not going to miss a week. I just have no idea what's going to be on the show next week. So uh, keep your fingers and tentacles crossed for me, ladies and gentlemen, that I come up with something. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here and riff for like an hour and a half. And nobody really wants me to just kind of do a stream of consciousness about, well, 
whatever for an hour and a half on episode 515 so hopefully we'll have something in the virtual can for you guys and gals by then uh between now and then remember that monster kid radio is a registered service mark of monster kid radio llc all original content of monster kid radio by monster kid radio llc is licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license of course the song hemoglobin the magnificent is copyright 2021 the hamiltones which you can find at the hamiltones.bandcamp Dot com. You can also look up the Hamiltones on Instagram or, yeah, follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. My name is Derek Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week where we hopefully have something for you. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs>